Hey, thank you for coming uh, today. Adoption is uh, what we're headed on. It was right at the end of the justification chapter, and um, there was only one page, about a page, page and a half uh, on it, but we thought, man, we really need a whole uh, Sunday on adoption. So, Scott, would you start us by uh, reading Romans, um, it's eight, maybe starting in 14 and going um, through 17, maybe throw in 18 because it's too, too good not to, not to read 18. And, um, and pray for us before sure. we get going. Sure. Good deal. Okay, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, what a privilege it is to be able to gather here and to open your word and uh, to discuss adoption today. Uh, what an incredible topic that we get to spend 45 minutes or so on discussing. And I pray that uh, all of us would leave here today with a greater appreciation, a greater wonder, a greater amazement uh, by the truth of the fact that we have been adopted into your family, and that we can come to the creator of the universe and we can say, Heavenly Father. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be amazed by this truth, that it would even stir worship and uh, adoration within us as we discuss this amazing topic of adoption. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good deal. Hey, Papa, why? Tell us why Jerry um, Bridges is where Papa was at, but also uh, J.I. Packer, uh, my favorite p chapter, and maybe a lot of people's favorite chapter in Knowing God by Packer is uh, chapter 19 that's on adoption. But uh, tell us why um, both Bridges and, and Packer feel like this might even be in one way a, a greater thing to think through than uh, even than justification. Well, this is my opinion, but, but I, I um, you know, we, we, we taught last week uh, or how many weeks did we two spend? Weeks. Two weeks on justification, which is a pretty mighty topic. But that's a forensic declaration by God, not guilty. Um, almost from a courtroom judge, you're not guilty. Um, you're set free from your sins. Okay, so now what? Now what happens next? And adoption fits in there just beautifully because uh, in Bridges' example, the judge not only opens the door of the jail, he invites the prisoner to come home and, and adopt him as his very own son. Rather than give him a cheap suit of clothes and, and $100, he lavishes on him all the um, benefits of being his child. And that's very similar to the Roman equivalent of adoption because they were, you know, you were adopted as adults rather than as children as we do. So Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Oh, man. I mean, uh, the doctrine of adoption is just, uh, it's something that we believe 0.03%. Yeah, of, that's a good point way to say it. Because what we're talking about is a kind of love that God has for his own children that is beyond anything we can possibly comprehend. 
Uh, if you're a parent, you have some, some tiny, tiny inkling of, of the kind of just absolute love for your children uh, that doesn't mean approval of all that they do. God does not approve… Very important here. God loving us does not mean He's indifferent to our behavior. Part of His love is discipline. He, he disciplines those He loves, and he, he disciplines every son whom He receives. So, don't ever hear God's love and adoption as being divorced from discipline and caring about our sin. That's part of His love. So, it's not a softy version of God's love here that we're trying to promote, but it is an astonishing truth that God is our Father. And after the resurrection of Jesus in John's gospel, there's this incredible text where Jesus is talking. Remember, Mary Magdalene is clinging to His feet and weeping, and Jesus says, don't cling to me. He says, I'm about to go ascend to my Father. And then the shocking words, Jesus says, I'm about to, to ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and, and your, your God. God. So, Jesus, we understand He is the Son of the Father. We understand He is the Son of God. But then He puts Mary Magdalene and all believers you know, she was once possessed by seven demons. She's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And now Jesus says, just like he's my father in many ways, he's, he's going to be your father too. It's just, it's just off the charts uh, reality that, that, that we can only just kind of stand in a, in a distance and try to comprehend what's going on. I think studying this this week just helped me realize how little I really think about this and then how little I really apply it and how drastically different I would live if I did think about it. Liz Scott. Yeah, uh, just a quick story on this. I've mentioned George Whitfield recently, but one of George Whitfield, who was evangelist in the 1700s, his clo- one of his closest friends was a man named Hal Harris. I think I've mentioned him once before, but he was a Welsh man, and uh, he became one of Whitfield's closest friends. He was used of God mightily in the Welsh revival. He was a powerful preacher, courageous. Uh, he, he faced persecution. Uh, he got hit over the head extremely hard while he was preaching. I mean, just incredible courage, but he did not grow up in a Christian home. And when he was 17 years old, his father died. And he said once he lost that fatherly restraint, his life just spiraled into all kinds of sin, debauchery. But it was in this condition that uh, the biographer said that sovereign grace rescued him from this condition. And he was saved marvelously, wonderfully, and was filled with immediate joy. He had this joy. He was like almost running home with joy. That, That day he knew his sins were forgiven. But he didn't know much. He didn't know much about the Bible or the things of God, but he knew that he loved to talk about God, and he had this magnetic personality, so he was drawing people in. He was talking about the Savior a lot and his sins forgiven. But he also loved to spend time with God in prayer and in the Word. So he was doing these two big things. So he would go off into a quiet place. There was a church near him. He'd go to this church, and he would spend time in communion with God, reading the Scriptures and praying. And then, I don't know how long, he wasn't a Christian very long, and he went there, and he was communing with God. And he had this powerful experience this particular day, uh, moving experience while he, he was praying, uh, he, he said this, I felt suddenly my heart melting within me like wax before the fire with love to God, my Savior. So he's all of a sudden overcome with this, uh, like fire, it's his heart is melting. He's filled with his joy. Well, what's going on? He said, there was a cry in my inmost soul, which I was totally unacquainted with before, Abba, Father. I knew that I was his child and that he loved and heard me. So what I would say is, when we become a Christian, we are adopted into God's family, but we may not know the benefits of our adoption right away. We, but we'll grow into it. And I think, Mark, you used the illustration. When we adopted Michael, our son, you were there. And, and Papa Fred, you were there at the court, courthouse that day in Oconee County. And uh, we went up for the front. Michael was there, and he was having a, a great time. But he had no idea what <laughs> how, was going on. How old on. was Michael? Uh, he was like nine or ten months, I guess. So it was 2019, November 2019, I think it was. And uh, he was happy. He, there was fly. He was, just, he was supposed to be taking a nap. And here, here he is in the courthouse. He's just loving every minute of it. He's looking around. 
uh, he was smiling at everybody. He goes up to the front, and the, the, the judge is there. We raise our hands, and it's made official. Well, he has no idea of the significance of that adoption. Yeah. And hopefully he'll grow into the significance of what happened to him that day. Well, the same says when we become Christians like Howell Harris, we don't know the significance of what's happened to us. But over time, as we begin to pray and commune with God, we realize what an amazing privilege that we can say to God, the creator of the universe. Like you, you look up at the stars and think, God made all this, and yet he's my father. So I think it, if like we know 0.00% or 4%, like you said, but I think I hope we'll, over time we'll learn to appreciate this incredible reality of our adoption because uh, it is amazing. Papa. I uh, have this story from uh, Philip Yancey, which is kind of illustrates the same thing um, about adoption. Um, Philip writes, Jesus' own stories about God's love express a quality of almost desperation. Uh, in Luke 15, he tells a woman who searches all night till she finds a valuable coin and of a shepherd who hunts in the darkness until he finds one sheep that's wandered away. Each parable concludes with a scene of rejoicing, a celestial party that erupts over the news of another sinner welcomed home. Finally, building to an emotional climax, Jesus tells the story of the lost son, a prodigal who spurns the love of his father and squanders his inheritance in a foreign country. He tells the story of, of the priest, Henry Nowen, who sat in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia, for many hours meditating on that very picture, the picture of Rembrandt and the prodigal son. While staring at the painting, Nowen gained a new insight into the parable, the mystery that Jesus himself became somewhat of a prodigal son for our sakes. He left the house of his heavenly father, came to a foreign country, gave away all that he had and returned through a cross to his father's home. Jesus is the prodigal son of the prodigal father who gave away everything the father had entrusted him so that he could become, so that we can become like him and return with him to his father's home. So in a nutshell, the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation tells the story of a God reckless with desire to get his family back, to reconcile his family to himself. God struck the decisive blow of reconciliation when he sent the son on the long journey to planet earth. The Bible's last scene, like the parable of the lost sons, ends in jubilation. The family united once again. It's like your story in the, in the courtroom. It's a family, a family reunited or united uh, around this adoption. What yeah, a gift. Oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Mark, I want to hear more uh, about the Abba Father. You know, we some, sometimes think about that. Let me read, though, the formal definition from the Westminster Confession. This was in uh, Packer. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth. I love that word. I don't know really what it means, but vouchsafe <laughs> You are vouchsafe-f with the T-H at the end. In and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put on them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never, never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. So that is a 
There is a lot that goes into this that uh, I, I think, once again, we don't think about. The Abba Father, tell us about the tenderness of that, especially you have two daughters. Um, I think especially with daughters, you get that idea. If they come up to say, Daddy, Mags can have up to half the kingdom, which is like 69 <laughs> bucks on a good month, you know, but you can have it sort of whatever. But tell us about that tenderness there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that that word Abba it makes its way into the text of the New Testament in so many different places. But the one that you, that you think of most prominently maybe is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Abba, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So, it, as Jesus is facing God's wrath in the cup of judgment, uh, He's about to drink that cup, the cup of staggering, it's called, the cup that makes you drunk, the cup in Isaiah makes, knocks you down with the God's judgment. Um, drinking it down to the dregs, the psalmist speaks of, is just an unimaginable part of receiving God's judgment for sin. In, you know, in the Old Testament, that, that cup is given to Babylon, it's given to Assyria, it's given to all these pagan nations. And then finally, Jesus is in the garden, He's talking about Him drinking the cup. It's just, and, and He brings out Abba, Father. There's, there's this tenderness, even as He's approaching His death with the Father, and Abba comes out. It's, it's so graphically memorable that that word, that Aramaic word, shows up in the text even of the Greek New Testament. They put the, the Aramaic term Abba there because it was so memorable, I suppose, when, when you hear the story. But what, what makes that even more powerful to me is, so then that's, um, that's late Thursday night in the garden. He's saying, Abba, Father. Friday morning around 9 a.m., he's being crucified. And what I'm told, I haven't gone and researched every saying in the New Testament to check this, but I assume this is basically true. I've been told by others that uh, every single time, scores and scores of times, Jesus refers to God in the New Testament, in the Gospels, over and over and over. And every single time, without a single exception, Jesus refers to God as my Father or our Father, every single time. There's never a time where he addresses God without calling him Father, except for one time, which is on that Friday afternoon, when, when it goes dark, he doesn't say, my father, my father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, the Trinity was not broken. The divinity of Christ was not extinguished at that moment. The universe would have stopped existing if the Trinity would have fallen apart. So in the mystery of God, the Trinity was intact. Jesus was still God in his divinity, but his humanity was experiencing real abandonment from the Father. And in a sense, it was as though Jesus was orphaned so that we could be adopted. It was, it was, he was experiencing the full wrath of a righteous God against us. And it was almost as though he was being kicked out so that we could be adopted in and brought in to the family. So Jesus says, why have you abandoned me? Hebrews says, he will never leave us or abandon us. And so I think putting that all together, we then now can speak to God with that tender affection of Abba Father by his spirit of adoption that's in us. Yeah. And, and, and in this passage in, in Galatians as well, Scott. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that tenderness, that affection. That's what this word is, is talking about. And I, I, the story I've always told on this is like when Micah was little, you could say any child who's, who's small, Micah was little. I remember he used to come into the sanctuary after the service. He had his pacifier still in his mouth. He'd scan the room to see who he knew. And then he'd see you and he'd pull his pacifier and he'd, Dada, like daddy or whatever. <laughs> like there's that tenderness and affection. Well, that's, we can approach God and say, Abba, Father. I mean, it's just extraordinary that we can. It's like my son, when he's in pain, he has every right to say daddy because we've adopted him into our family. I am his father, so he can say that. Well, we can say that to God. And I know Spurgeon, I've told this story too, and Spurgeon was very I was sick. just thinking about that. Uh, it's just that moving story. He was extreme pain, which he had lots of pain his whole life. But this was like the worst moment. He told everybody to get out of the room. And then he just goes to the throne of grace. It's so moving. He just says like, Father, uh, I am your son. And if I had a son who was suffering, I would want to do everything I could to help him. So please, Father, help me in the suffering. And he said the pain went away and never was that bad again. And I just remember... It was right before this church started. I got very sick. I haven't been sick that much in my life, but this is the worst time I've been sick, I think. So 
bad pain in my stomach, and I'd been reading Tony Reinke about the discipline of trials, which helped me tremendously. I'd, I'd heard this Spurgeon story, and it just helped me so much in that extreme pain. I just remember I, could, I had these times of communion with God where I was just crying out to him, I'm your son, I'm suffering, Father, help me. But that's the privilege we can have. I mean, it's amazing that we can go with tenderness to God. He's our Father. He cares for us in our suffering, and we can cry out to him for help. Yeah, Papa? Why do you suppose, I guess, that adoption is, is somewhat obscure? Because it's not obscure in the New Testament. I mean, it, it's all over Romans. It's, it's in Galatians. Uh, actually, Galatians came first. So uh, he really develops that term. And, and, and we're children of Abraham. We're children of the, of the promise and, and, and sons of God. Yeah, I think we'd be amiss to talk, not, not to think through what all goes with this? And, and Scott, especially with Michael, I think about what all happened when you became Michael's father. When Michael was officially at McAndrew, he did get a new name uh, that day or when you uh, adopted him officially. But there's so many benefits that go with that, that, that the unbeliever, I think we must say, the unbeliever is not adopted into the family of God. It, you know, sometimes I think the world gets this wrong and says, oh, we're all God's children. That, in that way, that's not true. We are all made by God. We're all created by God, but we're not all God's children. That's a privilege of, of the believer um, in Romans 8 that uh, Scott read. We have in 15 that the, you're led by the Spirit of God. That is one of the great privileges. We are led by God. Um, we are, do not have the spirit of slavery but, but, um, or fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by sons. We have the spirit living in us. And then I love 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Packer pointed that out too. The, the great assurance that there is that once God has adopted you into his family, you're there for keeps. Forever, for eternity, and now heirs. What, um, any of you guys, what do you think? Well, just jumping in on that point, let me, let me read it one more time. I know we've already read it, but Romans 8, look again at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So, as soon as Paul says that, he goes, don't misunderstand, suffering will still come in this life. Even if we're adopted in God's family, that will not get us out of any form of suffering. He makes that clear. But I, I find this fascinating. If you're a believer, surely you know what this is like. I'll give an illustration and I'll try to explain what I mean. I've heard this before from other writers, but, you know, a father and a son, a father and his maybe three or four-year-old son are walking down the sidewalk in their neighborhood, and they're holding hands, and they're walking. And the father loves his son tremendously, but he's not going to express it the same way in every moment. But every so often, he just picks them up off the ground and hugs them. He just says, I love you, and puts them back on the ground, and they keep walking. And it's almost like these hyphenated, these, these moments where it's intensified, where you, you have this experiential component of God's fatherly love for you. And if, if you're a believer, you know there are dry days, sure. There are days we feel dry. We, we read the Bible that it just, just doesn't, our heart feels cold and, and there's not a lot going on. We understand what that feeling is like painfully too often. But do we not know what it is like to have your Bible open and to be reading and to have a sense 
Not just a mental fact in your brain that God loves me or God is my father. I'm, I'm talking an experience, a, a sense that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is bearing witness, convincing my spirit, my human spirit, that I am God's son, that I am a true child of God. And in those moments, you, you're just overwhelmed by the reality of God, the reality of his love, the reality of his tenderness, his nearness, his patience, his concern with the smallest things in your life, that nothing escapes his fatherly gaze, nothing goes unnoticed. He's not bored when you talk to him about what's going on. He's not uninterested. He's not tuning out. It's not like he has too many things to do. He is infinite. He can can totally handle all of you and all beyond you and everybody else in the world. And, and to have those moments where you sense God's uh, fatherly love, sometimes more intense than others, but it, it is an overwhelming experience at times, uh, sensing uh, the Spirit bearing witness that we are His, that we are His children. I, I, by the way, I, I, in terms of assurance of salvation, this has got to be one of the most persuasive oh, things. Now, so if there's absolute rampant unrepentant sin in someone's life and they claim to have this deep experience, I'm going to ask some serious questions about whether that's real, okay? Because your lifestyle needs to line up with what you're saying. But in terms of experience, we don't want to be non-experiential people. The Bible has experiential stuff everywhere, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Those are not non-emotional or non-experiential things. And when the Spirit is working in our heart and we experience His testimony that we're children of God, there is nothing more you need to know that I am right with God. I am loved with God. I am secure in the embrace of God. He tells you, and Him telling you, the Spirit, is better than anybody else around you uh, telling you that you're a child of God. Hey, can I just have you tell that story again where you were listening to R.C. Sproul preach uh, together for the gospel, whichever year it was, but the curse motif of the atonement, 2008. And just can you walk us through that one more? I mean, that, that was this happening to you during and after that. Well, th that is uh, an unusually vivid account of that. So I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, together for the gospel, 2008, with a guy from my college and a couple other people I didn't know very well. And uh, R.C. Sproul preaches a sermon. It's on YouTube, hour long, on the curse motif of the atonement, which is just an incredibly powerful sermon about Christ's abandonment on the cross from the Father. Just if, you, if you've never seen it, please go on YouTube and just say, R.C. Sproul, the curse motif of the atonement. It, it will come up, and it is one of the better sermons I've ever heard in my life. And I mean, the guy I was with was weeping. I think everybody in the room was weeping by the end of the sermon. I mean, it, was, it was just overwhelming, the, the love of Christ. And I remember there was a Q&A afterwards, which we stayed for the Q&A, and then we left to go get food or something. And we go outside to bright Louisville sunshine, and I just, I, I feel like I was floating out of the, the place. I just, I, I, we're on our way to get food. They're talking about food. I'm like, I don't care about it. I have food to eat, you know, not of. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just on cloud nine leaving. I, I was overwhelmed by a sense of God's fatherly love for me. I, I mean, I, there's been many instances since, since then, but that was a particularly vivid and just a pronounced moment. Of, I was just, it was complete certainty of, of God's love for, for me despite my sin. Yeah, those are great. Scott, can you talk about what all has changed? In, like you started on, on that a little bit, but tell us more about Michael and just the experience. And then how now as Michael's father, you know as God's son a, a whole different uh, maybe level on this adoption. Yeah, uh, man, if I, I'll end up crying if I go too far on that. So what I'll slightly answer it slightly different than what you're asking, but I would just say this. Uh, if you've never watched an adoption video, I would rec highly recommend watching an adoption video because it is so incredibly moving. And I watched, we watched lots of them before we adopted Michael. And there was one, I went and watched it again this morning, and it, it made me cry again. But it's, it's this incredibly moving video of this couple, a Christian couple from Texas, and they already have biological kids, but they felt led to adopt, and they were going to adopt internationally, and they ended up adopting this little girl from Ethiopia. She had uh, apparently a horrific 
beginning to her life. Uh, her mother had died, so she's an orphan, and there she is in Ethiopia. It took them three and a half years uh, of their life to, to, to be able to accomplish this. And they, they filmed, they put this little eight or ten minute video together, and they're finally, as the day comes where they're, where they're traveling there, they're flying all the way to Ethiopia, and they go, you know, it's, it's, it's a poor area, and they get to this little orphanage, and they knock on the door, and they go in, and the, the little girl is, is, is there? And they go in, they, they pick her up, she's got these huge eyes, and they embrace her, they bring her into her family. It's incredibly moving. And a non-Christian can watch that and, and weep, no, no doubt about it. But for a Christian, it is unusually powerful because we have to see ourselves as that little girl. We are that little girl, except we were, like Packer would say, we were guilty and, and, and vile and perverse. I mean, we were running away from God and yet God in his love, he pursued us, he grabbed us and snatched us up, he saved us, but then he brings us into his family. It's uh, unbelievable. When, when you see a video like that, it just, it puts adoption on a different level, I think. You see that, it's just unbelievably moving. So it can happen even with Michael now. It's just like he is rescued from a pretty difficult situation and the other aspect is, is the church family, which is, this is another privilege, is he, be, he becomes engulfed in the family of God, which is, which hopefully he will be adopted by God one day. We pray for that, but it's the same kind of thing. We get to have brothers, like Grudem mentioned that. When we are adopted, we become brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's just another massive privilege. And when this little girl comes back from Ethiopia, the whole church family is waiting there with signs, and they all come around. It's just this beautiful picture of just how our, so I would recommend adoption videos are powerful, powerful to help us feel the, the weight and the wonder of our adoption. Yeah, Papa. Yeah, I was just noticing on page, um, um, what page is this? Well, 323. Uh, he mentions that if, if we're God's children, then we're related to one another as family members. Certainly so. In fact, this adoption into God's family makes us partakers together into one family. So as, as a church, as believers in Christ, we are united in him as children and one family. And that's just really comforting. It is. That's one of the things I love about this church. I, in my family, I have two uh, biological brothers that uh, are amazing to me, and I love those guys, but I love a whole host of brothers and sisters. It's the best. And, and uh, what else? What else goes with adoption that maybe we don't think about? Well, just real quick, uh, when we go through trials, which remember Romans 8 promises hardships for the adopted children of God, which is just an amazing thing, uh, provided we suffer with Him, that we might be glorified with Him. But we've got to realize that God's fatherly hand is involved in all setbacks, detours, trouble, suffering, physical suffering, uh, whatever it may be, emotional difficulty that you've gone through. Whatever's going on that just is frustrating and difficult, it just feels like you're pounding your head against something that's just not moving in life. That is all part of God's fatherly care for you. And it really does take time, and none of us is there, but it takes time. Part of Christian maturity is when suffering comes running to God's fatherly embrace rather than running from God in a hardened heart. To, to, to trust that even though this is confusing and it may even bring tears of pain and grief, we have to trust that God's fatherly love is involved in what is happening. He has not fallen asleep on the job. He is not ignoring us. He's not uninvolved. He's not uninterested. God is never indifferent to your suffering. He proved that because look at the cross and the empty tomb. He enters into our suffering through Christ. So God's not indifferent to your pain, but God has a purpose. And the purpose is not unknown to us. I know Sometimes we talk about we have no idea why suffering happens. Well, we know of several really important ideas why suffering happens. Number one, to, God works all things together to, for good to conform you to the image of Jesus. 
So all the sufferings and setbacks and pain of your life, all of it, is going to be worked by God to make you more like Christ. 100% of it. And I understand that in the middle of it, I complain, I struggle with complaining as much as anyone, and that is, a, that is a blight on my character. And I hope that as time goes on in my Christian walk, I am quicker to turn to God, trust God, uh, go to Him with my tears, go to Him with my confusion, and to pour it out before Him and trust that He has a good purpose even when it doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And certainly, uh, Hebrews 12, a familiar passage, but too good not to read. Um, my, verse 5, my son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord. No, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Mark quoted this earlier and chastises every son whom he receives. So what goes with this, and I would say we need to rejoice in this truth more than we do. God disciplines his children. And he is always perfect at it. You know, when we're disciplining our children, it's hit or miss, right? We don't know what we're doing. Sometimes we over-discipline, sometimes we other-discipline. But God's perfect. Never over-disciplines, never under-disciplines. Disciplines always with a perfect love. And look at the great promise here. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. So, Mark, when you're talking trials, Mm -hmm. I would think most of the time and maybe all the time, there is a disciplining hand in there. Mm -hmm. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had an earthly father who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. That seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. We want that. That's what we want. Look at verse 11. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems pleasant, seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Mark, that seems like what you're talking about there, Scott. Jerry, can I tell that story about uh, your dad when you uh, you get, you pushed your old you had a temper problem oh, boy, he had an anger I, problem <laughs> what did yeah, he do he shoved his brother into the deep freeze i think it was yeah that's the way the story goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i did he deserved it but i shoved him up against the deep freeze and dad said i've had enough of your temper i had a vicious temper as a little guy and it how old were you got, uh 32 <laughs> it was like i was probably 12 and he was probably eight I'm, I'm guessing, something like that. So I was a little old to be, but I got spanked by the uh, little yardstick that you get at the county fair. I'd been spanked by that thing, you know, triple digits. But this time the belt came out. For the first time ever, Dad pulled his belt out. We went back to my room. Oh, no. Oh, wow. And it was, I am not kidding you, for sure one of the top five character building <laughs> times in my life that I never forget. And I wanted to throw him against the deep freeze a lot after that, but I was like, that's not worth it. I'm not going through that pain. But it was a tremendous act of love by my father that hurt like crazy. And, uh, and so God does that lovingly. Just, and my dad was so perfect in the way he handled that, and I'm so grateful for it. But you just take... Any sin in your life, just think about anything that you've fallen into at any point or given yourself into at any point in your life. Think about the misery that sin inevitably produces, the absolute misery it always produces. That is God loving us. 
Because if it produced pleasure, we would keep doing it, right? If, 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 if the end point was actual wholeness and satisfaction, it would be very hard to resist any sin. But the fact that sin leads to dead ends and misery and emptiness and all that stuff, the numbness that it always creates, God is lo- that's a form of discipline that God is loving us enough to let us not enjoy our sin long term. It may have a momentary pleasure to whatever it may be, but at the end of the day, it leaves you miserable, empty, and broken. That's God's fatherly discipline. He's loving you enough to leave you uh, not content in that. The longer we know our Father, you're right, Mark. The longer we know our Father, we know the greatest part of this life is our fellowship with our Father. That's the greatest part. What hinders that? Sin does. So what's the worst part of our life? Sin. So God eradicates it through this discipline. And, uh, and so grateful that it is, Papa. Anyway, we were trained by it, Jerry. It says right here, uh, for those who have been trained by that discipline. And uh, you just like you remember the, <laughs> being <Do I> ever? <laughs> your um, <clears throat> discipline, yeah. I guess. Yes. Not so good. Well, let me just read one quick text. Don't, don't turn there. Just, just, this is in Micah 7. You don't have to turn there. But just, and I know this is referring ultimately to the nation of Israel, but I think there's a real application to the Christian today. L- listen to what he says here uh, after Israel sinning, but you can think of yourself sinning here. Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, right, that's the misery that comes after you fall, right? So, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment not against me, for me. And then He says, uh, He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon His vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your, your God. So, that's a hopeful verse, that even though there are temporary times of that discipline, at the end of the day, we know the Lord is going to bring us through. Yeah, and that's why we can always, that 17 and 18, even though there's a little bit of a break there where, uh, unfortunately, 18 goes right with 17, if you're back in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so, there is suffering, certainly, as part of being uh, God's child but um, be far outweighed by the glory that's coming. Scott? Yeah, no, I mean, just, just what y'all are saying, I'll just say really quickly, it, that's what Grudem says is one of the privileges of being an adopted child is God's discipline. I don't know if I'd thought about that as much, but it's, a, it's a, an incredible privilege that God, like you're, all y'all are just saying it, hitting it right on the head, that God will not let us remain comfortable in our sin out of loving, fatherly care for us. Uh, he, he will get us out of there. He'll make us uncomfortable. That's just a huge, we just don't think about that, but it's one of the privileges of adoption is his fatherly discipline in our lives. And even though we're experientially adopted, there's another phase of adoption when he, uh, in Romans uh, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So there's another phase. There's phase two to this adoption when he, mm-hmm. we're transformed, he takes us home and we have this new body. Uh, that will not sin, does not sin. And that is really, that's, that's a two-stage step here that I'm, I can't wait for that. Jerry's waiting yeah, one more day. Yeah, we've been this close. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's one reason to be excited about every day. Every day's getting better because we're closer. We've never been this close. That tomorrow's going to be better than today in that, in that sense. Mark, what are other parts that we maybe don't think about? We're heirs. We're heirs with Christ. That's He's our, in that way, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's where, it's, Romans 8, again, verse 17, 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, again, th- those are beyond… <laughs> Those verses are just beyond our comprehension, what that's saying. Heir of God. I mean, you know, if you had an incredibly wealthy relative who passed away, like a multimillionaire, billionaire relative, and they left you an enormous amount of the estate, you would be astonished if you found that out. You were inheriting several million dollars from some great uncle you never even heard of who died and left it to you for no reason that makes any sense to you. You would be, you wouldn't stop talking about it for a couple of years. You would be talking about that constantly. It would change your whole life, how you would live and everything. It would be amazing. This says we're heirs of God. I mean, I just, the fact that I struggle so much with complaining means I've got a long way to go on on believing that, that, that the future is going to be infinitely better than anything we experience here for the believer and that we are heirs of the new creation and everything that goes with that. So undeserving too, you know? And it was, Scott, you pointed this out. It wasn't like we were the cute little adorable one in the orphanage, you know? We were the, the screamer and we were the one biting and we were the one that was not very lovable. Mm-hmm. We were happens. dead, in fact. Yeah, we were dead, right. Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think another thing, I think of Jesus when he says about, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? And it's like, those of us, we're parents up here, we love to give good gifts to our children, but we're evil. We don't, like, but God, how much more will he give? It just, the, when we come to adoption, one of the applications would be we should want to pray, and please, he is our father. We should love to spend time with him, but pray for these good gifts that he's promised to us. Like, Lord, give me joy. Like, we can just go to our father. Like, we should just be praying all the time if we were living in light of our adoption. Thinking about that today, how do we not make that health? We're not certainly talking about a health, wealth, prosperity mm-hmm. deal or demanding. How is that different, Scott? Help us there. What do you, what do you mean? Like demanding I, for like riches yeah, or something? No, right. I, don't you think sometimes these good gifts, we're thinking, oh, wow, more money, more whatever, better supper. But he may be talking the, in a good gift, Mark. Well, just so when Matthew tells that account, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give uh, good things to those who ask? Mm-hmm. When Luke tells the same story, he changes the words uh, good things to the Holy Spirit. Ah. How much more will He give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In other words, all the good things God has to give us come through the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, experiencing the Holy Spirit is the top gift. In this world, it does not get better than the, the, the experience, what was it, the down payment you know, right, the, of our inheritance, uh, the guarantee of our inheritance is the Spirit. So the highest among all the things is, is a greater uh, experience of the Holy Spirit uh, amongst all other gifts that God gives. Yeah, it's good. But certainly, like, if we're feeling down or feeling low spiritually, I, I just remember when COVID first hit and we were, like, away from each other. And I remember, like, you had often talked about the Luke passage about how much more will God give the Holy Spirit. I just remember finding myself in a desperate situation, like, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit. Like, I am feeling dry. But the fact that we can come to God as our Father and say, Lord, please give me your Holy Spirit. I mean, what a privilege. And we should just be doing that all, we should be praying that all the time. And God loves to, to give that the Holy Spirit it to us like in greater measure. Wow. I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It is. It's an overwhelming. It is. Truth. It is. I mean, there, there's such a um, family-centered focus here. And I guess you know, we don't think about that every day. I mean, I'm not, I mean, not just with all of you, but I'm talking about in the family of God to be part of his uh, kingdom. And, and, and that he, he made the decision. This is another one of those, I think, declarations. God chose to adopt us. 
He predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world, uh, Ephesians says. So, I mean, this is not, didn't catch him off guard. He deliberately chose you, chose us in him before the creation, foundation of the world. I, I wonder if the, because Ephesians 1 does say he predestined us for adoption. I wonder if we held those two terms together, it might make more sense to people what's going on here. I this is an so. incredibly gracious act of God. It is. To, to step into the orphanage of the world and to choose people out of it who deserve nothing but judgment and to choose instead to save and wash and renew them. Uh, that's astonishing. And then he's in charge of the whole process, the Romans 8, your favorite Romans 8, 28, all things you know, the synergy working together, mm -hmm. and that's, that's his elements working together, not ours. That's great. Scott, one final thought. Yeah, I mean, I think First John 3, where he says, see, or some translation, behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And I, different people talk about how you have to use a word like see or behold to wake people up to the wonder of what's happened, of God's love and making us his children. Like, there should be wonder, adoration, and amazement when we just start touching the, the subject of adoption. I think of Paul when he starts touching his, his conversion and the grace of God, he can't help but explode in doxology. I think the same thing should happen when we come to adoption. Just start soaking in it. It should just create this adoration and wonder yeah. that God's made us his children. Maybe one more quick thing. What happens to someone, because certainly not all, but I have had a tremendous father like I already talked about, but not everybody has. What, Mark, help us to understand uh, how do we understand God being a, a, a great loving father when maybe we haven't experienced that? Oh, man. No, I, I know that that's a, that's a real issue for a lot of people. Uh, I think, like he, Hebrews says, you know, our fathers disciplined us according to what they thought was right. And, you know, th that's, some of it was good, some of it wasn't good. But God, how much more supreme, perfect parent or father does what is perfect for us. I think that letting the biblical understanding of fatherhood be what determines our yeah, knowledge of right. fatherhood rather than our past experience, perhaps, with a, with a, uh, a father who was not present or was uh, worse, you know, in, in some ways. Yeah, thought, thought on that, Papa. Well, I think um, uh, Josh is here, and, and I know from uh, experiencing counseling, is there are some people that struggle with um, um, their uh, image of God because of uh, a poor family life, for example. Uh, not, not all, and, 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 and we're blessed if we have a good experience and perhaps struggle sometimes if we don't. But, uh, uh, you know, now we, we, can, we can look to God. I mean, he's, uh, who better to adopt us than, than Abba Father? I mean, really. Yep, no, so. that's, that's for sure, Scott. No, that's no fantastic. Mark, would you thank the Lord? Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can call you those very words. Uh, thank you that you sent your, uh, your son, the Lord Jesus, to uh, be in his humanity, bearing our sin and guilt and forsaken, so that we could be adopted into your family and never forsaken uh, by you that we could become heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, uh, even as we suffer uh, with Him and for Him, knowing that our present sufferings are unworthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future, and that one day our full adoption will be revealed publicly to all the universe to see in our resurrection from the dead with glorified bodies and a glorified new creation with uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, and I pray that, uh, and with all God's people, and uh, God, I pray that we would more and more fix our, our eyes on that future uh, reality and on even our present experience of your love, and that it would inform and shape uh, the way we live our lives in the present. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Lord willing, two weeks on sanctification starting 
uh, next Sunday, and uh, hopefully you get a chance to read those in Grudem. Adoption certainly leads us to be to be further sanctified. Thank you so much for investing this time and in listening. <laughs>